This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The device was implanted in the patient's brain, and then these electrodes, they're tiny, not even wider than a human hair. Thousands of them are also implanted in the patient's body and essentially dumbed down a bit. When they're turned on, they can connect to another device. And that gives the patient the ability to use their thoughts to control an external technology and interface with the world around them. Uh, yes, a recap there from ABC reporter Will Weave about uh, a significant step forward here regarding Neuralink and this technology. Elon Musk, this is uh, one of his uh, projects, uh, says that the first human has now received an implant uh, from the computer brain interface company Neuralink. So they've begun trials on this technology that uh, aims to read a person's intended motor function by interpreting electrical signals within their central nervous system. That basically just by thinking, a user could control their phones or computers or maybe other devices. It's kind of like an internet connection for your brain. So for those who have lost their limbs or lost the use of their limbs... Uh, the idea that you could use devices just by thinking, type a message, those sorts of things, that's potentially pretty huge. Uh, this doesn't come without some risk, though. Uh, and there were some troubling stories about what happened to some of the, the monkeys that were involved in, in some of the research on this. Elon Musk kind of has a reputation for, you know, full steam ahead when it comes to, to these ideas. So uh, there's some questions about this, the pace of this. Uh, but joining us for some thoughts on, you know, all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, Dr. Adrian Rapo, a research associate at the Neural Interfaces Lab at Imperial College London. Dr. Rapo, good to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Uh, so it's been announced that we don't know much about this individual, but um, the company confirming that we do indeed have the first human who's uh, received this implant. How significant is that? I think it's a it's a major milestone. Um, several other people have have said over the news about the same case. Uh, there are many companies right now that are springing up in the field of neurotech and uh, brain computer interfaces, or BCI. But very few of them actually make it to this stage. So in that sense, it's definitely a significant milestone for Neuralink to have implanted uh, their first implant into their first patient. We call this in the field first in human. Yeah. Well, is it reasonable that we would be at this point now? As I say, there's often some question about Elon Musk and, and his uh, impatience when it comes to developing you know, new technology. What about the pace of this? That's a very good question. So... It really depends on it really depends on who you ask, and it also depends on the kind of application that uh, you're looking to do. Brain interfaces aren't actually all that new when you consider all the different applications out there. Medically speaking, we've done uh, BCI for cochlear uh, implants, for example, uh, to give people who have lost the ability to hear uh, their hearing again. Uh, we can use cochlear implants; those have been here for several decades already. Uh, other implants uh, for medical use include uh, deep brain stimulation devices, notably used for Parkinson's disease. 
Um, but in another sense, uh, what Neuralink is trying to do is very new and uh, also quite experimental because the locations within the brain that they are trying to access, those haven't been uh, explored very much, medically speaking. Uh, I guess the most um, the most similar project that has happened in the U.S. previously uh, that is trying to do something quite similar is the BrainGate uh, project, wherein uh, Utah array, so bed of nail type electrodes, about 100 electrodes are inserted into the motor cortex. And they have shown a couple of decades ago that that gave them the ability to uh, allow patients who are tetraplegics uh, to move robot arms with their thoughts. And that was demonstrated 20, 30 years ago. Uh, what's new now is the number of electrodes that are inserted uh, and the new engineering, the new technology used in uh, Neuralink's N1 device. Right. So the, the technology is there. Like, you know, we know that in theory we can, you know, measure these signals, translate these signals. Like we, we are at that point then. Yes. Well, yes and no. Um, so the, the um, let me let me think a second. The, the challenge with interpreting these brain signals is always trying to make sense of the vast amount of data that you're going to be collecting from the brain. A lot of that data is essentially noise to scientists, meaning right. that okay. you have to filter out the noise and you have to carefully interpret those signals in order to determine what the intentions of the person that is driving the implant is. And that has always been quite challenging. It's challenging for a number of reasons. The signals are very small, they're very noisy, uh, and they are also unique from person to person. There is no single template. And so anything you learn from the interface you have with one person does not apply to the next person. These signals have to be interpreted using large computers. It can't be done in the implant itself. And so in that sense, it remains quite tricky. We don't have uh, a very good and efficient way to do that interpretation, but we, we have demonstrated that it is possible. Um, in practical terms, that's where the devil lies in the details, so to speak, because yeah. every day in the BrainGate project, for example, they had to recalibrate the entire system before users were able to pilot robotic limbs. And from a practical standpoint, that's just not uh, feasible to be used in everyday life. I mean, the difference between, like, for example, with voice prompts, like there's the thought process, then there's the voice. If I want my computer to turn on or I want my device to do something, it's a voice prompt. I think about whether I want to do that, and then I say that I want to do that. If, if I have a Neuralink chip or some kind of technology and I'm using it to turn on my phone or type a message, I might think about whether I want to do that or think about the things I might write in a message. But what's the difference between your brain contemplating those things and then your brain sort of sending that signal to do it? That's a very, very good question. So there's evidence uh, from brain recordings that much of the activity that occurs inside the brain as the brain is deciding whether it wants to actually do something is very similar to the activity that you'll see when the brain actually decides to send that signal. However, it depends on exactly where you're looking. For example, in the motor cortex, uh, the, specifically the primary motor cortex, that region of the brain only starts uh, lighting up, so to speak, when you're actually moving your hand. So this happens after you have taken the decision to actually move your hand, for example, to grab a glass of water. So if you're listening to that area specifically, you can make the difference between deciding whether to do something and the actual intention to do something. 
I, I hope that answers yeah. your question. No, I think that makes sense. Um, but is it possible we can start to go there, not just uh, a chip in the brain that can control a device, but a, a chip in our brain that can send signals to parts of the body that aren't currently getting signals? And we talk about paralysis or those sorts of things. Is it possible that, that it can make a difference there? Yes, quite possibly. As a matter of fact, there is a project right now at the University of Lausanne. Uh, so this is in uh, Switzerland, where they have created a bridge, so to speak, using technology between a patient's brain and their paralyzed muscles in order to restore their ability to walk without an exoskeleton. So in this case, instead of piloting a robot arm to in order to stand up and walk again, they're uh, stimulating the muscles, the residual muscles in their limbs to do that. So we've reached a significant milestone here, as mentioned. Do you anticipate, you know, if we're talking five, ten years out, that we'll have seen some significant developments here? Or is this maybe likely to proceed on, on a slower timeline as you see it? That's a, another very good question. Um, and I must admit that I, I really don't know. Uh, yeah. A lot of experts are asking themselves the same question. Will it take five years? Will it take ten? I think it's definitely, if I had to guess, it would definitely not be around the corner. Um, there, ha There is a lot of unknowns we have yet to figure out before we can make this mainstream, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it will remain very um, labor intensive to process that data, to do the calibration and so on and so forth with, with today's knowledge and technology. I guess what I'm hoping is that um, if the access to these implants is democratized for people who have lost the use of their limbs, we can start to collect larger data sets that will allow tools like machine learning to help us do that decoding more readily and therefore um, enable us to more efficiently interpret these signals. We'll see where it all goes from here. Very interesting stuff, Dr. Rappel. Appreciate your perspective and insight on all this. Thanks so much for joining us here.